Heather Parker. And I'm Ashley Hamilton. And, and this, this is Celebrity Memoir Book Club. What is Celebrity Memoir Book Club? We are a book club. We meet weekly. We are the only ones who speak in it. <laughs> I guess it's more of a book lecture where we read celebrity memoirs and tell you if we think they're good or not. And what qualifies us to do that? The fact that we bought the mics. <laughs> the fact that we are doing it. And so if you think that you're more qualified, we implore you, beg you. We're on our knees saying you go buy mics and you upload your own podcast and we will love that for you. But if you don't want to and you want to carry on, Ashley will thank all of our five-star reviewers at the end and we'll love our worms forever. Literally forever. Anyway, Ashley. Yeah? If you're a celebrity and you wrote a memoir, what would the name of this week's chapter be? I feel like my chapter this week would be called just get a fucking handle on yourself and do stuff. I have started getting really active on to-do lists again. Hell yeah. And I feel like when I just do things and then don't spend the rest of the week worrying about those things, shit gets done and I feel better. Listen, a lesson we must keep learning. I feel like that's very easy, but I always forget if I just write it on the list and then check it off by the end of the day, then I don't spend the next four days drowning in the fact that I haven't done one simple task. A plus. And so to the wormies I was sending stickers to two weeks ago, it's finally done. <laughs> Claire, if you were to title the chapter of your memoir last week, what would this chapter be called? I guess the opposite of Ashley's week. I am down bad, you guys. <laughs> Ever since I've gotten engaged, I am really obsessed with wedding TikToks and like not even in a productive wedding planning way. I got it all planned. I have everything booked. I'm kind of done thinking about it until April, but I am obsessed with watching people talk about their wedding regrets. I can't get enough of it. I don't know what's wrong with me that I'm like getting off <laughs> on watching people be like, I didn't put my hair up the way I wanted to. And now the wedding is ruined. The problem is these are people that often don't go viral. And so then they'll get a ton of attention for being like, here's everything that went wrong my wedding. And then they come back they're like part 24 of things that went wrong at my wedding. The cake was turned to the left a bit. I wanted it centered. And you're just like more. And I can't stop. <laughs> Up. And Ashley, when I tell you, my screen time is always bad, right? I'm not going to sit here in front with you guys like I'm outside enjoying life. I'm not. <laughs> I used to get my shit done. And then during my free time beyond TikTok, I'm not getting things done anymore. You're just on TikTok. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been dropping the ball a lot lately. And I'm, I'm coming clean here because I know I have to change. <laughs> I honestly thought maybe I have to get a second phone and I keep TikTok on that phone. But the problem is one of the things that you have to be doing is making TikTok. I know, but I don't even have time to be making TikToks right now because I'm too busy looking for the next wedding regret video. I cannot stress enough that this is not me. Just like joking. Days have been Can lost. Can you block a hashtag on I TikTok? block it. I'm searching for it. I look, I type in wedding regrets. That's what I mean. It's can you block it so that you can't find it? Can you block it from My yourself? stomach is curdling right now. <laughs> the idea of living a life without them. I love them so much. I actually really love them. I see them a lot because they're on our joint, joint account. <laughs> I will say... They're fun. The weird thing about wedding planning is it puts everybody in this weird even field where anybody who's willing to talk about it is now putting themselves on TikTok like an expert. And I guess that's true of almost every field. But so there are these girls and the videos are getting 12 views and I'm sitting there watching their three minute exposition about a champagne tower like this is the height of knowledge they're like here's my take on a save the date card and I'm like I need to know what this 22 year old in Kentucky who's having a $1,200 wedding for 400 people thinks about save the date like why I can't stop there's something wrong with me I don't want their opinion a $1,200 wedding I'm just saying like people that have nothing to do with how I'm playing like 
people who don't know, they have nothing to do with my wedding. This is their first time. I watched this hilarious video where this girl's like, my number one regret from my wedding is not having a registry. I did cash only and it's my biggest <laughs> regret. And then if you go back four videos, seven months earlier, she was like, something cool I'm doing at my wedding, no registry. Everyone keeps telling me not to do it, but I know myself. And so if you're looking to not do a registry, here's your permission. She came back seven months later to do one more video and be like, I have a huge regret. And I'm just, I'm obsessed. And so what I mean is these are people that I shouldn't be learning from. It's not like I'm getting good information. I'm just watching whatever's out there and I cannot stop. And I need help. So I haven't done anything this week or last week or the week before, to be honest. Okay, anyway, that's my week. And now should we get into one of the worst books of all time? I'm sorry that we're stalling. It's just that there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing to talk turn about Turn back this now. Week. You guys, we've read one of the worst books I've ever read in my life. We thought it'd be fun to turn the tables and show you another story of prison and life thereafter. But we didn't get that, really. We read this week, Fellow Bride, <laughs> Teresa Giudice. She gives you like eight different pronunciations. I think she says she likes to say Judice. No, Judice is how you say it in America. Judice is how you say it on TV. And Judice is how she says it to her family. She says she actually doesn't care how you pronounce it because her father-in-law has since passed away. And she's like, no, that we're not honoring anybody. It literally doesn't matter what you say. Yeah, she says she herself will call it all three. So nobody's wrong. Anyway, so we're covering Teresa Judice turning the tables from housewife to inmate and back again. A New York Times bestseller. This was the book where I remember going, oh, a New York Times bestseller literally doesn't mean anything. Like nothing has credit anymore. Threw this bitch in the cellar at the New York Times building and everyone's like, but it was the best one there. (laughs) You know what I like to say? President of the United States, a New York Times bestseller. (laughs) Two distinctions that are actually meaningless. (laughs) Claire, right quick before we really dive into this book, can you as a housewives knower, Give us a quick background on who is Teresa. Teresa is one of the original cast members. I haven't been super dedicated to Jersey. I felt I was too close to home. It hurt me. I just felt that it's everything I tried to escape. Well, it's one thing when you're like watching a caricature of Orange County, but when you're watching it and you're like, oh, this is what people think my mom is. Yeah. My mom would kill herself if (laughs) if you thought she was like Teresa Giudice. Well, that's why you can't watch it. Yeah. And so, okay. But I know roughly she was like one of the original cast members. She is insane. She is a real hothead. She never apologizes. She's always causing drama. She never apologizes. She is an interesting archetype that I think every franchise has. She's a Tamra. She's... Who's the redhead from Dallas? Something you learn from watching The Real Housewives is no matter how awful you treat the people in your life, there is a certain type of woman who I guess is fun when she's fun. And because she's so strong and never backs down, the other women just have to kind of rally around her and take what they get when they get it. And she is that type of person where no matter how abusive she is towards the women in her life, they all end up having to forgive her just because she won't back down first. And so you just have to say, well, that's Teresa. And it seems like they do like her. Like something about her is likable to the women in her life because they don't shun her completely. She's a real alpha, I guess. So now let's dive in to, I guess we'll start at Housewife and then we'll go inmate and then we'll go back again. Teresa Giudice, nay, Gorga, (laughs) was born May 18th. 1972. She's a cool 50 years old. And this book came out in 2016 when she was 44. And when I say this book came out fresh from the jail cell, she was released from jail December 23rd, 2015. She was under house arrest then for like 
two months. She got her anklet off February 5th, 2016. And this book came out February 9th, 2016. And don't you guys worry. We did get the edition. Now with an exclusive bonus chapter. Which covers what happens in the March after the book <laughs> came out in February. You guys... I'm going to let you in behind the magic wall. Let's turn the table real quick and talk, talk some serious business. I don't know if this is interesting or not. So basically the way we do this podcast is we record Thursday afternoons. The episode goes out Tuesday. I tend to try to read the books Wednesday night. I try to get a couple of pages in and then Thursday morning I'll wake up at 6 a.m. and just read till I'm done. I go get a coffee and I just sit down. Well, we are going behind the curtain. In a hard chair so that I don't fall asleep. <laughs> and I just read until I meet Ashley and we record. And then I just dump it. This book, last I don't know what energy was coming off of it that repelled me to such an extreme force. I could not open it last night to the point where I went to bed at 9.30 p.m. <laughs> just to get away from it. I was just like, well, I can't read if I'm asleep. I'm like, I'll wake up earlier than normal and finish it. I woke up. I went and got my coffee. I could not force myself to read it. I went to the park to try to get some sunshine on my face. Bees were attacking me. <laughs> I went back to my house. Maybe bees were attacking her. Bees were, I'll be honest, they were attacking, attacking my bagel. But, oh. So I ate my bagel really quickly. And I threw it, but it was just like, I normally have no problem just sitting down and banging it out. I wake up early before my brain knows better than to distract itself. And I just sit and I read until I'm, it's never been harder for me to read a book in my life. My eyes had nothing to land on. I can't even explain it. It was like ice skating. Every time I stepped out onto the book, I slipped and fell on my back. There was nothing to grapple with. I've never read a book like it. You know, when you feel like genuine feelings of sadness that you feel inside of yourself, in your bones, you're like, man, I feel cold and sad right now. So usually when I open a book, the first thing I do is check and see how many pages it is. So I know... <laughs> how I need to pace myself. And I opened the book. I saw like 285 and I was like, no big thing. Let's fucking hit it. And I opened it and there are like 15 pages of prequel written in Roman, noodle, Roman noodles. And when I saw them, I felt sadness in my bones. <laughs> I don't know how her and Piper from Orange is the New Black came out and she wrote the world's most boring book and that other one wrote like an eight season sitcom for Netflix. Life is what you make it. Anyway, let's dive in. First to an author's note. Names have been changed. Then a letter to the reader. The letter to the reader wants to let you guys know one thing only. You don't know the real her. I want the world to see who I really am, not what the media or the Real Housewives of New Jersey has made me out to be. I am not a bitch. I'm a good-hearted, laid-back, and caring mom. But like every other person out there, I'm not perfect. The letter to the reader is actually only four pages of her just explaining that she was a Real Housewife and then an inmate and then back again. It really is just the subtitle of the book. But also <laughs> that you guys don't understand she's such a good person. Mostly that if you came into this thinking that she was a bad person, that she had any faults, you are wrong. She also wants you guys to know, because you may be saying, well, Teresa, haven't we seen you explode at people and flip tables and scream and be insane on TV? And she says, my problem is that I am too trusting and see the good in everyone, which has gotten me into a lot of trouble over the years. I would love to see her in a job interview. My attention to detail, too good. <laughs> everyone tells her she's so good. The problem is she's too pure of heart. And you know, when you're so pure of heart, you end up really hurting people. <laughs> and screaming at them and causing problems. I also want to point out this sentence. I'm not a bitch. I'm a good hearted, laid back and caring mom. She is obsessed with the fact that she's a mom. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with loving being a mom. I think that that's actually a good thing if you have children to like love that you're their parent. But the way that she thinks being a mom is like a cosign on 
everything. She's like, I love hugging my children. I'm a good person. And it's like, I don't know. I feel like we're talking bare minimum stuff here. I think that there are a lot of people who love using the fact that they're a mom to be like, I deserve to be first in line. I deserve to do this. I deserve to do that because I'm caring for lives. And it's like, yeah, that you chose to bring into this world. I don't think that you get a fucking gold star for making a choice and seeing it through. She's a perfect case study of the opposite of what makes a good memoir. And that's why this is such a bad memoir. Specifically looking at Danny Trejo last week and the way that he was constantly reexamining himself and constantly taking accountability. Oh, there's no And always being honest and vulnerable and being like, here's what I realized was bad about me. Here's how I tried to change it. Here's my new attempt and here's how I gave back. Here's the last couple sentences of her letter to the reader. My faith was one of the things that helped me the most in prison. Praying and getting close to God helped me through one of the most difficult times of my life. I took care of my body and mind by walking and running around the track as much as I could, taking exercise classes, doing yoga, eating clean, going to church and reading inspirational books and reflecting on how I could use this experience to change my life. I plan to come out of the prison a stronger, better person. I wanted the world to see a new Teresa, a different Teresa. Well, actually, the Teresa I always was. (laughs) I was going to reach my peak self, which I've been this whole time, but... I can't imagine being like, this was a transformative experience that led me right back to who I had actually always been since the beginning. I mean, the way that she just does not apologize for a fucking single thing in this book. There's always a reason why her lack of awareness is, dare I say, shocking. Okay, I'm gonna go on a limb here. Tell me if you follow. (laughs) This book has booyah energy. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like after every paragraph, she's like, booyah, bitches. (laughs) I mean, can I tell you guys, literally in italics at the end of every shocking thing, she goes, oh, Madonna Mia. You know, Booyah is not Italian, right? Yeah, I know. But I'm saying she literally has a saying that she uses to italicize and emphasize the end of a shocking moment in a Booyah fashion. I feel like it's just to translate to your culture, because I grew up in proximity to a lot of Italians and from New Jersey. So I understand but to you and your family, that would be the equivalent of like an oy vey. I know what it meant. (laughs) I feel like you're not really getting the nuance, though. I'm getting the nuance. I'm saying that in the energy of a booyah, she's literally punctuating the sentences with a colloquialism. I see. And I'm not saying they're the the places where a booyah would have been. I'm saying the energy of putting that at the end of sentences to emphasize herself because she like couldn't write a sentence that emphasized it in that way. The fact that she needed to add an italic saying at the end to show you that this was a crazy moment is a booyah energy. Even though if there were booyahs, they wouldn't have been in the same places (laughs) as the Madonna Mia's. Copy. (laughs) Did you follow me on that limb? (laughs) I can't wait for us to just put the fall of a tree. I've had enough of this book. I want to die now, please. Okay, so I will say there are a couple. We I can't <laughs> believe we're this far in. And I look down to be like, well, what comes next? We're at the prologue. How are we still at the prologue? I want to just say real quick, there are, I think, three things you can get out of this book. One, Teresa is a nice person. Two, what happened to Teresa is unfair. And three, she loves Joe. Yes. A big chunk of this book is to be like, you think he cheated on me? You're wrong. We love each other. There is nothing in the world like the love we have for each other in that it's not there and the world is not a black hole. (laughs) Okay. So the prologue is then just the exact day she gets driven into jail and what happens when you go in and you have to give them your clothes and they do a body search and it was dark. They went in the middle of the night. So 
the media wouldn't get her. She's like, why won't they leave me alone? And I'm like, well, Teresa, you sold this book. Like, you know why they won't leave you alone. You should be so lucky that they won't leave you alone or else you would have nothing. Can I say, I actually did in this part of the book feel sad that in these moments, her like number one concern was the way the media was going to exploit her and embarrass her. I guess I didn't. There are times where I do feel I'm sorry that the media did that. Anytime someone's been sick and in a hospital, I'm like, leave them alone. I do think like fraud and no, I, I'm just saying like, I don't know that much about her. I don't know anything about her other than she was a real housewife and she went to jail. And so reading this part, especially when she's like talking about the notorious squat and cough and she's talking about what's going through her mind is that she's afraid someone is going to get a photo of it and leak that to the press. Well, she's not that part when she's naked, but the part when she's driving in. The part when she's driving in, sure. But the fact that like that was her big fear when she's undergoing this moment that is a very rude awakening and her fear is the press. I'm just like, that does suck. Later, she just, she overuses it to the point where I'm like, I actually don't feel bad anymore. You need to shut the fuck up. But here I did feel bad. Yeah, I guess I have no sympathy for her. Something they did, and this is not why she went to jail, but this is just a separate thing I know as a New Jersey girl, is after Sandy, when a lot of the houses were destroyed, people got FEMA relief in order to rebuild their houses. And because Joe, her husband, is a construction worker, he took on a lot of FEMA jobs to help people rebuild their houses and was notorious for just dropping off all of the stuff that he needed and then not doing the job, but taking all of the money. And so taking everybody's relief money and leaving them with no house. So I'm sorry that choosing to be on a reality show and then choosing to do illegal things led you to a situation where... Yeah, I'm not saying that I overall feel bad for her. I'm just saying throughout this book, this is, I think, the only place where I felt a drop of sympathy. Reading this one part, I was like, maybe I'm going to end this book liking her, but we're still in the Roman numerals. And I did not get into the main book liking her. So she gets there and she says, I was still wearing the clothes I had on when I left my house. My black velour rhinestone emblazoned Fabellini jacket made for the launch of my line of cocktails. My black skinny Italian tank top named after my cookbooks, of course. My black leggings and running shoes. Honestly, she should have let the paparazzi take in a photo with all of her branded outfits. It would have been great promo. I glanced at the picture on the card. This was not my best photo since it was taken at almost four in the morning, but it wasn't the worst either. When that got leaked, she didn't mind. <laughs> she literally says someone did end up releasing it to the media later on, but I didn't care because I thought it was a good picture. Okay, good for you, Teresa. So now she's in jail and then we back it up. Growing up Gorga. So she gives the whole history of her family. Her parents immigrated from Italy. She has a little brother, Joe Gorga. You may know him if you know her. He's her brother on the show and in real life. It's a reality show. <laughs> <laughs> Not a paid actor. She grew up, it was very strict, old school Italian, Catholic. She wanted to be famous. I mean, like every reality star book we've read, she grew up wanting to be a famous singer or an actor. I like that she gives the excuse that because her parents were immigrants, they like didn't know that you could sign up for gymnastics and dance classes. So that's honestly why she never succeeded in the arts. It's because her parents didn't know to sign her up for classes and not because she just like wouldn't have been good at it. She ends up living with her parents until she gets married at 27. Which we were saying, I feel like back in the day, that feels late. It feels like maybe she was the last peach on the shelf. It doesn't feel soon. I will say it doesn't feel crazy. I mean, that's, you know, our parents' era. I think you can get married later than that. However, if you're from a live at home until you've been picked up to be a wife culture, that that is late. She seems to come from a background where what she was doing from the time she graduated high school was looking for a husband. So she ended up marrying Juicy Joe Judice, who they actually had known their whole lives. They had grown up together. They had been friends from the time they were babies. His dad actually visited Teresa's 
in the hospital when she was born. Mm-hmm. So she really was like, who do I know? <laughs> there must have been like a marriage pact there or something. So she writes a lot about how she'd always had a crush on him. She says that when they were little, he's two years older than her. And she always thought he was just the cutest boy. I guess in high school, they used to hook up a little bit. After high school, whenever they were both single, they would hook up a little bit. They like always were kind of romantically in and out, but never officially dated until they were like in their mid 20s. They started dating seriously and got married very shortly after that. Like as soon as they decided to commit to each other, they were done, signed, sealed, delivered. But it does kind of feel like he was just dating around, having a fun time. And she was like, when you're ready, come pick me up. Yeah, she keeps saying that it worked out perfectly. Well, we got together when we were meant to get together. And it's like, yeah, you got together when he was ready to stop publicly sleeping around and then start sleeping around just like off camera. Not even off camera. Oh, yeah. (laughs) She talks a lot about the cooking. The part of this book that is not about prison is all just her promoting her cookbooks. She's like, my mother would make beautiful meatballs and I learned how to make beautiful meatballs and all of these beautiful meatballs are in my book, Skinny Italian. She gives a really lengthy description to everyone in her life because I think she didn't have enough words to fill a book. And a lot of the times she'll put a characteristic to someone where I'm like, I don't think you know what that word means. I want to just give this story really quick. She's talking about her father and says, sometimes though, he was too much of a perfectionist. He was a cobbler. 10 or 11 years ago, a woman came in with a pair of Christian Louboutins to repair and the soles were all scuffed up. So the dad spray painted the soles of the shoes black so that they didn't look scuffed anymore. And then the woman came in to pick up her shoes and was like, you ruined my shoes. And he was like, oh my goodness. So then he just spray painted them red. And she's like, that's the kind of man he was. And it's like a bad cobbler. That's not what a perfectionist is. No, she does it all the time. She'll give you a story that she draws a conclusion from and you're like, well, that's not the conclusion I drew. She keeps talking about how, quote, I'm grateful that my parents were so strict with me. I never did drugs growing up. I was too terrified of my dad. And she goes, I never wanted to do anything that would make them think I wasn't grateful. I was always afraid of what would happen. She constantly talked about how strict they were and how because they were so strict, she never got in trouble. She did go to jail. And yeah, she's writing this book from jail. <laughs> pretty, pretty troubled. And also she tells stories all the time about her childhood of like, this time I cut class and was suspended. This time I fought a girl in the hallway and I was suspended. And you're just like, okay, it does actually sound like you were getting in trouble often. Even two suspensions. I never got a suspension. I was suspended once for pantsing a girl in seventh grade. <laughs> Sorry, Blaine. I'm just saying, I feel like to say I never got in trouble. I was always the good girl and then have been she suspended does. twice. She keeps calling herself a good girl. She's such a good girl. She goes, and I'm raising my daughters to be good girls too. Is good girl code for virgin? Like, I think virgin. Something about calling teenage girls good girls really gives me the heebie-jeebies. She says that her parents instilled a strong work ethic in her. And her example is later on at book signings for the four cookbooks I wrote, I would never take a break. I don't know that like my numero uno sign of a good work ethic is to just like sign books at a signing when people have lined up to have you sign a book. As long as someone would wait to pay me money, that's how long I would wait in a seat to accept their money. Can you imagine wanting to meet Teresa Giudice more than she wants to make money off of you? That would be a very sad place to be. If my father was the king of the house, my brother was the prince every night after dinner, I was the one who was expected to clean up and do the dishes. He would just eat and then take off. I always cleaned my brother's room for him. I would put away my laundry and then his laundry. Every Saturday, I would help my mom clean the house. I would dust, mop the floors, clean the bathroom, vacuum the whole house. He didn't have to do any of this. I never questioned it or got angry about it. Wow, let me tell you, if I was ever in my life expected to clean up my brother's room, I would have burnt the house down. If I had to put away, if I had to touch my brother's laundry, ugh. 
Then she gets into marrying Joe. She says, not only is he the love of my life, he's also my best friend. He's always been there for me and always treated me so well. Okay, so I do want to clarify for those people who aren't super up to date on Teresa Giudice. She is no longer Giudice. As Ashley said, most of this book is dedicated to being like, me and Joe are perfectly happy. So back the fuck off. I think they were divorced within days. Should I actually look up right now how soon after this book came out they got divorced? No, I looked it up. They got divorced in 2019. But he went to jail in 2016 to 2019. And she was in jail from 2015 to 2016. And then they spent December to March together. In March, he had to surrender to prison. So a year before they wrote this book to now, they were only in the same side of a fence for <laughs> three months. <laughs> three months. All in all, I had a happy childhood. My parents taught me to love and respect them, my family, to love God, to always try to do the right thing and to be a good wife and mother. All things I am passing down to my own daughters today. It is true, man. All she loves is her family. To Ashley's point, I mean, look, I think it's great to love your family. I think, I think it's we great should to all think, love our families. I think if you have a family you should love and them. And if you have children, you should love them or you shouldn't have had them. But this idea that to love your own children and to do things for your own family makes you like a saint. It's not above and beyond. It's not great for the community for you to like the people who look just like you. She keeps being like, I shouldn't have to go to jail for normal things. I love my daughters. And you're like, yeah. okay, can you love somebody who's not your daughter? Like, who do you love that's not related to you? Also, I do just think that to think that if someone was in your exact same position, did your exact same crimes and was exactly similar to you in every other way, except they did not have four children, you think that person deserves a harder sentence than you do simply because they don't have children. I like don't agree with that. I don't think that makes sense. I agree that having to leave your kids for a full year in very formative times in their lives is really heartbreaking and difficult, I think then you shouldn't have done crimes. Look, you know we are normally like, no one should go to jail rehab. I mean, normally ACAB, baby. <laughs> but I do Abolish have prisons. a very specific <laughs> hatred right now for the real housewives who do fraud in order to have insanely, like egregiously elaborate lifestyles. And Erica Jane, yeah. Teresa Giudice, like all of these people, it really makes me sick. In order to look rich for reality TV, you broke laws. It wasn't even just for reality TV. It was just for themselves. They thought that they should have more than everybody else. And I don't have any sympathy for it. Sorry that desperately wanting to be famous meant that then when you went to jail, people wanted to know about jail. Well, I don't know. If you want your privates, private. Yeah, I also just have no sympathy for the way that she has no sympathy for anyone else in jail. I mean, she does have a lot of like sentences of saying, most people in here don't deserve this. Most of these people shouldn't be dealing with this. But I do feel like there's not a larger purpose behind it. There's like not a larger understanding of like human rights or systemic inequalities. She keeps saying, why did God put me in this situation? So many of the people here don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be here. There's never a next step of, and I have a platform and I have a book and I'm going right. to use my power to help. There's no like, okay, now that I'm out of jail and famous again, am I going to pursue various prison abolition <laughs> groups? Do you know what I mean? Like, am I going <laughs> to... She says literally the sentence a lot. Most of these people don't deserve to live like this. The way they have us is not fair. They shouldn't treat us like this. Most of these people do not deserve to be treated like this. There's never a second thought of, and how do we change that? <laughs> right. And it's always bookended with, I am miserable. Most of us don't deserve to be here. It's always about herself. And then she can broaden it a tiny, tiny amount. So then she gets into becoming Mrs. Juicy Joe. She says this about Joe, and you guys follow us on Instagram to see this clip or look it up for yourselves, but I do think you need to see the clip 
from The Real Housewives where they have him very clearly on the phone at a family gathering talking to a woman he's having an affair with where he then says, oh no, my bitch wife is coming. She's such a fucking cunt. <laughs> anyway, go watch that scene and think about that scene when she says, Joe comes across as a tough guy sometimes, but he is very sweet. We always have a great time together. He's almost always in a good mood and so am I. Joe and I are both very easygoing and we love to laugh all the time. He is always treating me like a woman should be treated. He's always taken me to nice restaurants since day one and bought me beautiful, thoughtful gifts. He's always so kind and gentle toward me. And if you couldn't Yeesh. guess, I love, 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 love his body. She loves to say that she love, 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 loves something. There's always four loves. She, yeah. So then she gets into the fact that they had known each other their whole lives, that they finally got together. When she showed up with him as his date to a family party, everybody was shocked. And then she gives us this incredible, insightful quote. My brother, Joey, was like, what? You kidding me? He was surprised, but happy for us too. That's a good quote. What? <laughs> you kidding me? Truly, I've never read something less telling in my life. That could mean anything. I feel like he didn't look up. That's what you say when you're not listening. He's playing video games. Seriously, I see him being like, oh, no way, Joe, what's up? And then later be like, oh, Joe Gorka? Yeah, I know him. And then she goes through describing all of her children. She says her oldest daughter is an amazing, intelligent, grounded, beautiful girl. She's a gifted student and wants to be a criminal defense lawyer when she grows up because she has seen what Joe and I have been through and wants to help people like us. Criminals. <laughs> That's a very interesting stance. Yeah. In this book, they really see the law as something that happened to them. Yeah. Like spitefully. Anyway, and then I also want to read this other description. So they have four daughters. We don't need to get to all of them. Did you know that Adriana is the sweetest, most precious little girl? She tries to explain that Adriana is just the most loving, doting baby. But the story she uses to go with it, I'm just like, okay. <laughs> she says, once Melania, one of her other daughters, fell off a ladder in the garage when she was trying to get our Halloween decorations down off a shelf. And Adriana rushed to her side to make sure her sister was okay. I love her for that. I feel like when you see someone fall off a ladder, the instinct is to rush to make sure they're okay. And if you don't, you have in fact raised a sociopath. There are two acceptable responses. Run to make sure the person is okay. Run to get an adult or call someone who can help you better than you're capable of helping. That's it. Anything else, you've raised a fucking lunatic. <laughs> she also says that she told Gia what was going on. Gia was 13 when it happened. The other two girls were like 10 and eight. And she told them that she was going to prison to write a book, but she had to live at the prison to know how to write the book. And the littlest girl, Adriana, was in preschool. And they just told her she was going away for work and didn't explain to her where she was going. I do think the fact that they cannot tell the kids that they're in jail is crazy. Well, and then obviously it comes out that they, of course, know. Not Adriana, maybe, but the other two, they go to school. Those kids know that their parents are in jail for bad reasons. It's on the news. It's the talk of the town. Also, she keeps talking about how Gia, who was 13, she kept saying, like, it's up to you. You have to raise the girls now. And she kept being like, I know, mom. I'll take care of my sisters. And she's like, I was so proud of that little girl. And I know that that is the reality of the situation. You know, she left. That's a lot of kids for any single parent. But damn, I think that is a tough burden to shoulder as a 13 year old to be like, well, I'm a mom to three now. I do think it's crazy that they wouldn't tell the kids what was happening. That's the teaching moment. Like that's where you turn around and it's like a very easy trick to show you've learned your lesson to be like, this is what I told my kids and this is how I wanted them to learn from our mistakes. I don't know. 10 is really hard. I feel like at 10, it's so black and white that bad guys go to prison. I don't know. I 
don't know how I would handle it. I don't know how I, I don't know how I would tell my eight-year-old I'm going to jail for a year for yeah, tax fraud. I don't know how I would do it. I'm just saying I do think that they should know. I feel like if you're gonna step out of your kid's life from eight to nine years old. I guess I don't know that I would tell my kids I'm going to jail if they were that young. But like you just said, they're going to find out. So would you rather them find out from you and you have the ability to explain it to them in a way that you see fit? Or would you rather them have, like like you just said, they see it very black and white. Jail is for bad guys. So would you rather them be at school and have someone in their class be like, your mom is a bad guy? I don't know. But I do think it's not as easy as being like, well, I'm off to prison. I don't think it's easy at all. I just think it's like the reality of the fit. I don't know how I would handle it. I hope I don't go to jail, to be honest. I mean, when she's talking about obsessively how she wants her kids to be good girls. And if you're not a good girl, you will leave for a year. (laughs) Goodbye. She notices that her kids know that she knows more than she's letting on. I think if your kids realize you're just like constantly lying to them, like she's lying about her relationship. She's lying about, I don't, I fucking hate Teresa. No, I hate Teresa too. (laughs) I just also agree that it's a tough parenting sitch. A tough, I agree. (laughs) I'm just saying I don't think she did it right. Also, here's the thing. She talks about when she was married to Joe, she was working at Calvin Klein, which did make me stop respecting Calvin Klein. (laughs) I think people forget or just don't know that before I started doing Real Housewives, I enjoyed a successful career in the fashion business. It was actually not just before she started doing Real Housewives. It was like, as soon as she had her first child, she stopped. Yeah. So for her to be like, how do people forget? Well, we've never seen it. And it was like not a part of your recent past. She just like was an associate buyer at various companies. She wasn't like running Calvin Klein. She also then talks about an Italian belief called Malocchio, the evil eye. It's pronounced Maloik. I don't, okay. It's spelled like Malocchio. It's pronounced Maloik, but it's an evil eye. And basically they think someone can cast an evil eye on you when people are jealous of you. And so she tells a story about how it turned out Joe had an evil eye put on him and she was worried she had an evil eye on her. And that's why she was getting headaches. And then she says, that's why Italians always wear horns around their necks to ward off someone who looks at them with envy. It comes from somebody who's jealous of you. And she goes, Joe wore one when he started doing really well in business later on. It didn't seem to work though, given what happened to us. Happened to them. Now he wears a huge horn around his neck that his mother got him in Italy and was blessed by priests. I am obsessed with the fact that she seems to think she went to prison because the FBI was jealous of her. (laughs) She thinks the IRS was like just being petty and they wanted their giant Uggo McMansion. We have to put up photos of their house. Is it ugly? Is it ugly? I mean, it's ugly and it makes no sense. It's one of those houses where they have like 12 different types of columns in a room. I love that. I think if you can't pick a column, have all the columns. I've never designed a house. but I. (laughs) Sometimes you make me too mad to joke. (laughs) I know you're kidding, but it makes me too mad. I just think you've got to hold a roof up somehow. (laughs) Then she talks about the... Real Housewives of New Jersey coming to fruition. At first, they were looking at a friend of hers. They were casting the show. They were really, it seems like, taking their sweet time getting this shit off the ground. She says that they came to her with an offer, and then she spent 11 months thinking about it. I wonder if I believe that. I mean, maybe they just kind of floated an offer and were like, if this is the kind of thing that happens, we would like to have you a part of it. And then a year later, the show got officially greenlit, and then they were like, okay, well, if you want to do it, we're starting tomorrow. Yeah, she talks about how she was friends with a lot of those women to begin with. She was already friends with Dina. She was already friends with Caroline. And then she talks about Jackie, who she says is like a sister I never had because she understood me so well. She could tell by the sound of my voice whether I was on cloud nine or frustrated beyond belief. Those are not voices that sound the same. That's basic human EQ. I don't know anything about her, but I do feel like if she called me right now, I would be able to tell 
on a scale from cloud nine to frustrated beyond belief where she leaned. I don't know that there's almost anybody that I couldn't tell the difference between. <laughs> I guess someone who's like clinically monotone. <laughs> she also talks about how originally it wasn't going to be a Real Housewives show. It was going to be Jersey Moms. Mm-hmm. And she's talking about after the success of the Real Housewives of Orange County in Atlanta and New York, they wanted you to do the New Jersey one. And she says, like the women on the other shows, the ladies in Franklin Lakes lived in unbelievable houses, drove Range Rovers and Mercedes, loved to shop, and of course looked good at all times, which, yeah, unbelievable houses. It's true. I can't believe some of those houses. <laughs> drove Range Rovers and Mercedes, I guess objectively true. <laughs> and then um, looked good at all times. Sure. 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 She gets into her time on the show, her feuds, and then how her family fell to bits. I never thought fame and money could ruin a family until it ruined mine. I mean, you never thought. She also said, I truly had no idea that being in the limelight meant that everything you said or did would be scrutinized and would bring on a jealousy I had never seen before from strangers, friends, and family alike. Talk about Malocchio. She thinks everyone is jealous of her. I've never seen somebody so committed to not taking accountability. It doesn't matter how badly she has wronged you. She's like, well, I guess you're jealous of me. And that's why you were mad that I broke the window to your home. So she talks about her relationship with her brother and Melissa Gorga, who ended up on Real Housewives of New Jersey. And she says their relationship first fell to pieces. First of all, she blames Melissa for the fact that when she married her brother, Joey, they stopped talking to her as much. First, it was Melissa's fault because they weren't talking on the phone every day like they used to. Then she says when she started doing Real Housewives, the first two seasons, she was just so busy that she just didn't see them unless they were at a major family gathering for two years. She never made time for them. And she's like, I don't know. I was busy and why couldn't they understand that? So when Melissa's busy, she's a bitch. When Teresa's busy, they're a bitch for not understanding. Yes. Then she gets the call that Melissa has been added to the cast and she's furious that she's finding out through the Real Housewives producers and not through Melissa herself. And she's like, why didn't they tell me they even wanted to be on the show? And it's like, I don't know. You haven't talked to them in two years. But also she says that Joe had asked to be in scenes before. And she's like, I thought they wanted to be in the background. I didn't know that they literally wanted to be on the show. She goes, it was just my job. How was I supposed to know they wanted to do my job? It's like, I don't know. Talk to them more than once every two years. Also, it does sound like they were asking specifically, can we be on the show with you? And she was like, that's not up to me. She says that they would ask regularly to be in scenes and she was like, I can't decide who gets to be in scenes. So then they went to the people who get to decide who gets to be in scenes and those people said be in more scenes. And she said, why didn't they ask me to be in scenes? Anyway, it ruined her family. They ruined her family. And then of course we get to the line about the prostitution whore, which is a very famous moment in reality TV history. Even if you don't watch Real Housewives of Jersey, I think you probably are aware of the gif of her banging on the table. She says, I do have a long fuse, but once in a while, someone lights it with a blowtorch. While I was mortified at my, I can't believe I did that table flipping moment, what I didn't realize at the time was that it's actually what helped put me on the road to stardom. When the season aired, people kept saying I stole the show with my funny antics, my unending love for Juicy Joe, the way I doted on my adorable girls, my over-the-top lifestyle, my carefree attitude towards life. She does not care. But this put me in a whole new stratosphere. It's just not the way I'd ever wanted to get there. This actually is an interesting look at something I call Real Housewives disease, which is something that I attribute to people on Twitter a lot and anyone in life who gets positive encouragement for negative behaviors. And I think I see it on Twitter when people have like personas that are like messy or sloppy or something, and then they have to kind of double down into that persona to keep the content rolling. I saw Ramona on the street one time from New York and she was acting exactly like she acts on the TV show. She was like running around blithering like an idiot and just bumping into the walls of the buildings, walking like she was drunk and literally was alone on Third Avenue. I was the only other person in her line of sight. Nobody else was looking, but she was acting like a crazy person alone. 
And I was like, I do think when so many people have given you attention for your insanity, you just start only acting insane. And then you forget what you're doing for the camera and what is you. And I think that's part of why she's so dedicated to Juicy Joe in this book is because I think she doesn't realize that people, or she does realize, or it doesn't matter either way. She's getting attention for her grotesque obsession with his juicy little body. And so she's doubling down on that because that's what gets her more attention. Yes. So she talks more about reality TV drama and feuds that she's been in. She says, holding on to anger only makes us bitter. Forgiving takes time. While I'd like to think forgiveness is a two-way street, in reality, it isn't always. I mean, it literally isn't. That's not what that word means. I feel like forgiveness isn't you and another person reuniting and putting your beef under the bridge. Something very interesting about her (laughs) is that she learns about forgiveness in jail And mostly it's her forgiving other people. She's very much like in jail. I found it in myself to say that other people are flawed and it's okay. (laughs) I realized that so many times we react in anger because we are hurt. We come off as nasty with biting words that we later regret because we are in pain. We are trying to protect ourselves, defending ourselves to the end. So many times it's more about being right than anything else or trying so hard to get others to understand our point of view without understanding where they are really coming from. We hear their words, but because we're in defense mode, we aren't really listening. But in the end, who are we really hurting? Not just people we care about, but ourselves too. I do think she's worried about hurting herself. I also would give her credit for this if it seemed like it had any impact in her life at all. Yeah. I do think it's something someone explained to her, and I do think it's something she can parrot. It doesn't seem that there's any evidence that she understands. Yeah. Then she talks about going on Celebrity Apprentice. I don't need to dive into it. And then she gets into the legal drama, which is why anyone bought this book. All the fighting, feuding, backstabbing, bickering, pain, and drama I dealt with on the show was nothing compared to the legal nightmare Joe and I faced in 2013 and 2014. It was a legal nightmare that they faced. There's nothing that they did. They were faced with a legal nightmare. When she found out that they had both been sentenced to prison, her for one year and then him for about four years that they were getting to do on a staggered schedule, she obviously cried and was heartbroken. My parents didn't know the full extent of what was going on. I just told them that everything was going to be okay. They told me that they knew who their daughter was, someone honest and with good values, and that's what mattered. Looking back, I wish that was all that truly counted in court. Yeah, I'm sure you did. I don't know. What your mom thinks of you doesn't really count when it turns out that you have been found guilty of something. Yeah, there are moms who still love serial killers. (laughs) So I think she is indicted in October. Mm -hmm. She is given the holidays to spend with her family. And then January 5th, she drives to Danbury, Connecticut, where she goes to jail. She says, the judge listened quietly to my statement and then the world came crashing down. She said she had thought about giving me probation, but she said, my gut says Teresa Giudice deserves to be in jail for a period of time. I have hope and I have faith that you have learned your lesson. She gave me a lighter sentence than what the prosecutors wanted me to get. I was originally facing 21 to 27 months in prison, but the judge said she gave me 15 months because I had expressed, quote, genuine remorse in court and because I had no criminal history, paid my taxes, cared for my parents, and worked for various charities. She also said that she understood how much I loved my girls, which was perhaps the largest factor in her decision. At one point, she said, I've got to say you're a devoted mother. There's a bond between these girls and their mother. I have to consider these girls and their bond with you. This doesn't define you as a mom. Okay, I also want to just read the other part of the quote that I just read. That she leaves out of the book. That she leaves out of the book. This is from Ashley's personal research. This is what the judge said. For a moment, I thought about probation. I don't honestly believe you understand or respect the law. I need to send a message. In the eye of the law, it doesn't matter who you are. There are consequences to pay. She obviously doesn't understand that she did anything wrong. And she literally cannot believe that there are real world consequences for her flouncing around doing whatever she wants. I guess the way that she gets credit for having genuine remorse, the rest of the book is her saying, they think I'm guilty. Apparently they think I broke the law. I can't believe they think that I did that. She doesn't 
even think she's guilty. She, to this day, does not think she deserved to go to jail. She doesn't think she did anything wrong. She doesn't have any remorse. It's unbelievable. I went upstairs and told my mom to come into my bedroom and told her what happened. She started crying and she was saying, why you? You were always such a good girl. You do not deserve this. I started crying as my voice cracked. There's a reason why. They thought I broke the law. We're going to get an expert. And if we can't, we'll do the research ourselves. On the Patreon this week, we're going to get into all the Real Housewives legal drama, specifically Teresa, and find out what it is that she did. Because in this book, she's obsessed with making sure you think she did nothing. I have a feeling she didn't do nothing. I guess the argument would be that she didn't break the law. Joe broke the law. And I think they had to go down together. Like he handled all the paperwork. So she just trusted him. But I don't know. Why would you trust Juicy Joe? So she's getting ready. And she has three months to surrender to prison. They also owe $414,000 of restitution to the government. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I don't know how we're going to pay that. And it's just like, I don't know, sell the monster house you live in. I don't know that anyone wants it. I actually think that house has been on the market for quite some time. Turns out only you and Teresa like all those fucking columns. (laughs) I don't say I like all the columns. I'm just saying I respect many columns. She cherishes the next three months at home to prove that she cherished it. She says, if you look at my Instagram from around that time, you'll see that I did something fun with my daughters every weekend. For as many details there are in this story, she loves to tie it back to other media that you need to accompany it. She's always saying like, to get an idea of this, watch that scene from Real Housewives. To get an idea of this, check my Twitter account. It's just like, okay, Teresa, why don't you just tell us the story here? I don't understand why I know everything you had for breakfast every day of your entire fucking life, but you can't tell me that you and your daughters went horseback riding. It's weird that... Not only is she a bad writer, obviously, but the ghostwriter she hired seems to not be good either. For someone who hates the tabloid so much, it's very interesting that she partnered with a People magazine writer. So from here on out, this is the worst book I've ever read in my life. I guess she kept a diary. Not I guess. I know she kept a diary. And so this book is like the narrativization of that diary. And it also includes excerpts from the diary. And when I tell you it does read like a diary, but not an interesting one, just a journal of every day, literally every day. She's like, I woke up and this is what I have for breakfast. She had a banana, a oatmeal with raisins and a bran muffin. And then she went and worked out. And then she went three times a day. She worked out. She woke up, would do yoga. She would do cardio. She would do a workout class. And then she loved her stationary bike. She was working out three times a day. Her number one goal was to be in the best shape of her life once she got out of jail. The book is just so boring. I don't know what to do. I like, don't know what to say because there's so many details that amount to nothing. And she's always referencing Piper Kerman's book. She's always like, oh yeah, if you want to know more about Danbury, there's this other book about it. And it's like, Teresa, why are you writing a book? If you're not going to include any of the details that you want to talk about in your book, like why do I keep hearing about the dirty exercise bike? She's also obsessed with making herself look good. So she talks about her lawyer driving her to the prison, picking her up on her house the morning of. She goes, when I walked to the kitchen, I asked Jim, Joe, and Mike, do you need anything? Are you okay? Jim told me later that he and Mike looked at each other like, she's getting ready to go to prison. She's asking us if we need anything. Oh my God, she's such a good woman. You're a hero, Teresa. And I do get that she's afraid about the year her daughter's not going to be without her. I don't think anyone wants to deal with that. The children didn't do anything wrong and it is sad that they're going to lose their mom for a year and it is sad that they're going to lose their father for the rest of their lives because after jail, he was deported. But she really thinks that she is incredible. She talks about going to a diner in Danbury because they got there an hour before they needed to. So they go and get a sandwich. Somebody had taken a photo of her and she goes, that's absolutely unbelievable. Looking back though, that photo was like a real housewives version of the last supper. It literally was not. You are not Jesus Christ. Do you think Jesus Christ dying on the cross is equivalent to you going to prison for tax fraud? Anyway, so she gets to jail 
And she goes, despite what some people think, Danbury is not a country club. Who thinks that? Did anybody here think that prison was a country club? I think she spread that rumor. I know their narrative was, oh, it's like a low rent country club. All she does is work out and eat healthy and read and do her nails. But I don't think anyone believed her. I think people were worried she was enjoying herself too much. So now this book is doing the damage control of her own rumor. Like nobody was worried she was having a good time in prison. She didn't need to start that rumor about herself that she then had to go and correct. The reality of it was that being there was like being in hell. I felt like I was buried alive. I felt like so much was happening on the outside and I wasn't a part of anything. I felt trapped. You were literally trapped in a prison. She says, I hated the food. They served hot dogs and sauerkraut and hamburgers and french fries a lot. Women should not be eating like this. There was no nutritional value in most of the food they gave us. She's so hung up on the fact that the food was really unhealthy and she was constantly having to pick and choose random things. She also, the people in the kitchen would make her salads that weren't on the menu. And she's like, but I didn't get any special treatment. She also is obsessed with saying, am I really here in prison? Why God? Why am I even here? She later found out that the Watergate criminals have been there. She goes, that sent a shudder through my spine. I was being held in a facility that once housed the most notorious white collar criminals of our time. So why am I here? You are literally a white collar criminal. I mean, you literally broke the law in a white collared way. Imagine me going to a podcast studio and being like, this podcast studio has hosted some of the most annoying podcasters of all time. So why am I here? (laughs) Whenever she introduces people, she'll say they were there for financial stuff also. She also talks about her experience as being a celebrity in this prison. The last famous person they had seen was that woman, Piper. No, no. The last famous person was Lauren Hill. Oh, yeah. The last famous person was Lauren Hill in 2013. But Piper Kerman was also there. But she wasn't famous in jail. She was just an inmate. She says the hall was packed with inmates waiting to get in there. Most of the women were really friendly. A lot of them told me they watched me on the show. Others told me they couldn't believe that they were really meeting me because they were such big fans. Okay, Teresa, get a fucking grip. Anyway, people did sell rumors about her to the tabloids. Someone spread the rumor that she sat directly on the toilet seat. And she was like, I'd rather die than sit directly on a public toilet seat, let alone a prison toilet seat. Madonna Mia. So one of her big concerns in the jail, which I do understand and also I don't understand, is that somebody is going to tell the tabloids a story about her. And so she's constantly worried that somebody might like have a photograph of what she's doing. But she also is in a cell with five other women. I understand thinking that you have privacy and that privacy being violated and having a photo sold of you. The idea that you would be in jail and being like, do you know what it's like to think that somebody might be watching you? And I was like, they weren't might be watching you. You were in prison. There were hourly checkups. You were constantly being watched. That's the thing is, and people did while she was there sell stories about her. A lot of times there are made up rumors. She addresses every single rumor in this book and how ridiculous it is to think that any of them could be true. At one point she was like, people think I did something to get the top bunk. And she goes, you don't even want the top bunk. You want the bottom bunk. Yeah. And I also am just like, listen, as someone who's what, three, four weeks into therapy, One of the big things I'm working on is being like not every outside opinion of you is in any way important. And so the fact that she spent one year locked up working on herself, doing yoga every morning, trying to emerge from prison as the best version of herself on almost every single page is fretting about the paparazzi, the tabloids, the this, the that, what everyone's goofy ass rumors say about her. I'm just like, okay, I don't know. Get a fucking grip. You're in jail and your concern is that people think you're on the top bunk. <laughs> you're in jail and you, your concern is that people think you're using the toilet gross. She's like complaining about how unhygienic the entire place is. It's very dirty. And instead of being like, this is fucked up, she's like, people think I'm gross. 
Yeah, she has no bigger picture. At the end of the book, she says, I wonder every day, like, why did God put me through that? And she doesn't seem to come to a conclusion. I think she's like, God put me there so that I could become my fittest, leanest self. And even though I only lost eight pounds, she went down two or three sizes. (laughs) That's kind of what she took away from it. It's so crazy to think that the judge thought she showed remorse. It's so funny that she's like, it wasn't a country club. I did go in there and get sexy. (laughs) It wasn't a country club. It was more like a boot camp. Another funny thing she does throughout this book is she only has one true reference and it's the real housewives. And so everything either is or is not like the real housewives. So a couple of times she'll be like, the women in there were full of drama and always getting into petty little arguments. It was just like the real housewives. Or she'll be like, can you believe that these two girls were fighting over something so ridiculous? Remind you of anything? Real housewives. And then later she'll say, oh my God, I was starting to get overwhelmed. I'd had to watch my back many times the real housewives, but never anything like this. So sometimes it's just like the real housewives, but sometimes she's like, jail, it's not like the real housewives. (laughs) I also love the way that she's like, because my background is so privileged, I should not have been in this situation. And that's one of the big conclusions she comes to when she first gets to jail. She's like, I used to love to lie on the plush, fluffy, cream-colored carpets in my bedroom and talk on the phone or tickle the girls. My walk-in closet was twice the size of my new room. But I had to stop myself from thinking about that. This is what makes it so unsympathetic to me. The fact that she's like, you don't understand where I came from. It was big and it was fancy. And it was not paid for properly. (laughs) But it's like, are you saying that someone who did live in a smaller place would be more comfortable in jail? No one's comfortable here, Teresa. No one likes it. She told me not to ask anyone questions. Nothing. She also told me that you can't trust anyone in here because most of them were criminals. (laughs) That is a very funny thing to say as a criminal in jail. She also says that chewing gum is considered contraband because inmates could stick it in the locks to prevent the officers from getting in or out, which I found very interesting in light of the Danny Trejo episode last week when I was like, why can't they just have gum? Right. Finally, Teresa's answering the questions that Danny was asking. So I'm going to be honest with you guys. From here on now, it's just like day-to-day gossip about what was going on in the jails. It's not particularly interesting. It's not like Danny's book at all. It does not explain the higher level politics. It doesn't tell stories well. This whole book reminded me of, have you ever had a friend's parent tell you a story that is just so fucking boring and you don't know where it's going, but because you have to be polite, you're just spending all of your energy nodding along and being like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And you cannot take in a single word because you're just trying to get to the end and not interrupt. That was this book. She was there for 11 and a half months. And I think we get descriptions of a hundred breakfasts. A hundred breakfasts. And then also just like petty gossip. There are stories that could have been interesting. She does not tell them interestingly. And also it feels very exploitative in being like, can you believe that these women were beating each other up over this? That's the thing is she has no concept of the fact that she's very lucky that prison is not a lifestyle for her. She's not in a position in life where she's going to get thrown back into the system over and over and over again. I don't mean like prison is a lifestyle. I just mean like (laughs) prison is just like not her vibe and it's not her aesthetic right now. (laughs) You know, I mean, she says things that are insane. She says I had zero privacy and felt like I couldn't escape. I mean, you literally. (laughs) (laughs) She does have this idea that you guys are in jail, but I just like happened to be here in jail. She says I wanted to avoid eating beef or fatty meats when I was in there. I just wanted to eat as clean as I could if that was possible. And this is something that bothers me so much because for you to pick and choose what you're eating and like make it work with commissary foods and stuff like that is possible for one year. There are a lot of people who don't have financial resources, who don't have people helping them on the outside, who don't have anything in place. And you're just like, I can't believe they're eating that fucking nasty ass shit. And like, there's one part where she acknowledges that the cooks are doing the best they can with what they have. She's like, I'm not blaming it on the women who are assigned to cook for us. Like, it's obviously not their fault that the food sucks. But the way you're so disgusted by the fact that people aren't focused on getting fit while they're in jail is 
crazy. Really enough though, it seems like a lot of people do get fit in jail. She said that diet pills are a huge contraband item in jail. That a lot of people are trying to lose weight fast, specifically fast. Interesting. So in terms of drama, she says, I just couldn't wait to get out of there. I was sick of all the stupid shit they focused on. And it's like, this is what I'm talking about. For people who are there for 15 years, this is all they have to focus on. And sure, it's goofy and it's gossipy. But hey, guess what? In The Real Housewives, do you stand by all the stuff you focused on? I mean, literally, she's famous because she focuses on stupid shit. Prostitution, whore, table flip. Yeah. Was that an important thing to focus on? It was nonsense. She spent the entire time in jail being like, I didn't want to get involved in the drama. And it's like, okay, good for you. By the way, Mm -hmm. she does often get involved in the drama and she often is the center of drama. And when she tells the story, she's just like, they were fighting and I wasn't even involved. I just said, stop fighting. And for some reason, everybody in jail thought I had started it and I was a problem. One time they got in an argument over what TV show to watch. And I said, stop arguing, you guys. And then I moved to the side of the room because I didn't want to be involved in the fight. And then I still got in trouble for being involved in the fight. What's up with that? And it's like, I fucking... She was always just being very reasonable and trying to de-escalate the situation which as we see from TV is very much within her personality. (laughs) She also was very shocked at all the gay sex that's happening in prison. She thought that that was just a boy thing, that only boys could be gay, not girls. (laughs) Not even shocked by the gay sex. She is downright repulsed by the fact that women are hooking up in jail. I have nothing against gays, lesbians, bisexuals, or transgender people. I have a lot of friends who are gay. I saw Caitlyn Jenner on the cover of Vanity Fair and then on the ESPY Awards on TV and thought she looked absolutely beautiful. But having sex with another woman? I'm just not into that. You don't have to be. Other people being gay or even other people having gay sex, is you don't have to be into it. I love sex and all, but I didn't miss enough to find a lesbian playmate while I was there. No way. That's just not my thing. I kind of don't believe her. She has this best friend, Tanya, and she gets moved specifically into her room. They have a lot of like squabbles and then end up becoming friends again, squashing the beef. I could see her being so homophobic that she didn't hook up with her, but I could also see, I could see her being the kind of woman who's like, well, you could go down on me, but I won't go down on you. Yeah, I will say she references the fact that she thinks it's inappropriate that women were hooking up so many times throughout this book. I feel like it's one for one, the amount of times she mentions how crazy it is that women hook up and the amount of times she mentions that she loves her husband. The way she's like, I'm not saying you can't hook up with women. I'm just saying, don't do it in front of me. And it's like, well, they're not doing it in front of you. They're doing it in their bed, which happens to be next to yours. <laughs> she talks about all the books she loves. She includes Ellen DeGeneres' book, Seriously, I'm Kidding. Which we read, so you don't have to. If only Teresa Judice had access to this podcast in jail, I think she'd be a wormy, eh? Also, can I say, there's a lot about female anatomy she straight up doesn't understand she does say that she learns a lot about sex in prison despite the fact that she hates the kind of sex that happened in prison she says that she learned about the g-spot juicy joe not making it juicy enough i guess yeah i guess juicy joe is the only one getting juiced (laughs) she's also obsessed with letting you guys know that the inmates loved her and she was like yeah they said if i had stayed longer i probably would have been a leader in the prison and i'm like i just don't think that that's true also the inmates agree that she shouldn't be there no that's exactly what i'm gonna read where she goes after everything died down i climbed back up in my bunk but my roommates were all fired up from the fight so they all started talking about how they'd landed in there they told me they had seen what happened to me on tv everybody was mad the judge sent a mother of four to prison for nothing said dreadlocks but that's what they do said heaven they don't give a shit about nobody they just want to get you in and out of their court like next i do not believe that in all of Danbury, 
they could all unite under the one belief that Teresa Giudice did not belong there. They're like, one of us has been wrong. <laughs> there has been a grave miscarriage of justice in the prison tonight. And we must all band together to make sure Teresa Giudice is where she rightfully belongs in the world's ugliest home that she cannot afford to live in. There was a squabble at the TV again. Get a life, I thought. I went to lunch and skipped the spaghetti. I was trying to eat as low carb as possible and wasn't sure about the tomato sauce. <laughs> okay. It really is unbelievable that someone could spend a year with nothing to do but think. And man, what they think about is carbs in, carbs out. Since I had no publicist at the time, my lawyer Jim had to field calls from the media, dozens and dozens of them, about everything from the true length of my prison stay to whether or not I was on the toilet seat or not. The funny thing was they weren't reporting on the things that really were happening to me, like the nightly sex sessions my bunkies were having in our room with their partners. Are those happening to you? I guess it's in the same way that financial crime happened near her and to her. She had a really bad tummy ache in jail because at home she only cooked lean meats, chicken, fish, and vegetables in olive oil. Plus she ate a ton of fruits and nuts, but in jail things were not cooked to her specifications. <laughs> she talks about how her daughters were handling it on the outside. They did an email every single day. She called them as much as she could. They came almost every Sunday to visit her. And she said, I was so proud of my girls for being so strong and for helping their little sisters get through this surreal, horrible moment. When we had to detach from each other, it seemed so unnatural to me. A mother is supposed to be with her children. I tried to keep busy in prison because if I didn't, all I thought about was how I was supposed to be home with them. This, to me, was the worst punishment of all for something I didn't even think I had done. What does that mean? I don't understand this law book she plays by where you're like, if you close your eyes when you shoot at somebody, it's not murder because you're not sure if you hit them or not. It's especially hard for women because they often have to leave their children behind. It always really upset me to see children clinging to their mothers and sobbing in the visitor's room, but especially when I knew that these mothers had long sentences. In so many cases, it just wasn't fair. So that's where she acknowledges it's not fair for anybody. I don't know. It's just very hard to watch her not understand that other people have it worse than her. The only time she can acknowledge it is to be like, it's not fair for all of us. We're all having a hard time and all includes more than me. But also she's always like, I cannot believe these criminals and myself were in such a horrible situation. Yeah. The one time she acknowledges that she had it easier than some people. She talks about how much money she got to use at the commissary, as Ashley was saying. And she says, but some women didn't have money for the commissary, which is why they sold inmates laundry, nails, and hair services. I heard that some women even sold their own bodies to other inmates just to make enough money to buy essentials to the commissary. My heart breaks for women that have to go down that road to survive. Sure, some people fool around in the prison because they want to and makes them happy. If so, whatever. But when someone is driven to go to those lengths out of desperation, well, that makes me sad. Does it? Teresa, I think it's sad that some people have to sell their bodies against their own will just to survive. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty fucking sad, Teresa. I mean, the way Teresa goes on fucking shopping sprees at the commissary is crazy. And yeah, she goes on to be like, so a lot of people could barely get soap and had to sell their bodies. Anyway, I was sending my girls as many gifts as I could from She's the like, commissary. You could mail commissary stuff anywhere you wanted. So I would buy my daughter's face wash at the commissary because I knew that they could get it at CVS, but I also liked to be involved in their lives and it made me feel connected to just mail a candle to my mom to mail a soap to my daughter. It's, I mean, she is just going fucking buck wild at the commissary. She like buys clothes and she has them tailored. The inmates are making 12 cents an hour for work that they do in the jail. And meanwhile, she's like, I'm buying my daughter $14 Oreos from the commissary just to let them know I'm thinking of them. And it's like, yeah. buy them for your friends. And she thinks she's doing a service by hiring her friends. She's like, I paid a bunch of shampoo to get my clothes tailored. That's nice of me. I mean, I guess. She gets her hair done every weekend by the hair lady for when her daughters come. She gets her makeup done. She has an inmate do her makeup. 
She also talks about how she loves working out because obviously that's all she does. And she starts doing yoga every day and it helps her calm down. It teaches her breathing techniques that get her through tough times. She goes, she became the leader of the group. It felt so good to help other women out and motivate myself at the same time. I love teaching so much that I want to get certified in yoga and start a line of yoga clothes and gear. I love that. I love yoga for what it gave me spiritually so much that I can't wait to start making money off of it. I really think that there's a business deal in this thing that has given me so much spiritual clarity. I could already tell that my body was tightening up and getting leaner and stronger. She pays in commissary goods for regular massages from some of the women who are masseuses. The women all do look out for each other in there. Not all of them, but when you go in there, there are going to be women who come and help you out. And some of them are doing it so that you pay them off later. But she did make a lot of good friends and she did have a lot of people do some very kind things for her. And she talks about how when people leave, they always throw them a goodbye party and they do their best to celebrate the little moments and that the people who leave will leave behind their commissaries for the person after them so that everyone can have a little bit more. And then she's like, when I left, I went to pack up all the books that meant the most to me. And I'm like, leave the books, Teresa. You can get them on the outside. She's talking about one of her roommates or her bunk mates. And she says she was always eating in the room or on her bunk. I got reprimanded when I ate my salad in my room when I first got there, not knowing the rules, but she got there the same day I did. So she knew the rules. She honestly felt that the rules didn't apply to her. She acted entitled for whatever reason. I just really loved Teresa calling someone else out for being entitled. While I was in there, I started to hear more and more tabloid stories that Joe was cheating on me with different women. What got us both mad was that these home records were literally friends of friends. If Joe went out with a guy friend and his girlfriend, the paparazzi would sell the photos in which only Joe and the girl appeared. If he sat across the table or next to a woman at a restaurant who was friends with his friend, they said he was cheating. If he posed for a picture with a woman, they said he was unfaithful. One time he posed for a fan picture with a woman and a source said he was having sex with her. Her fiance was literally standing behind her when the picture was taken. I told Joe to say no to having his picture taken with any female, but he was like, I don't want to say no and be an asshole. That's how Joe is. An easygoing, good guy who doesn't want to be a jerk. But there were so many evil people out there who just wanted to nail him any way they could. I hated that so much. I hated that everyone was trying to nail him and he just kept getting nailed. He nailed them. They nailed him. Everyone was nailing each other. <laughs> but not Teresa. She's not gay and she never would be. She says she got moved and she got a bottom bunk and she was thanking her lucky stars. I did not need a bird's eye view of the other inmates having sex with each other because ew. Fuck you, Teresa. So finally, she gets out of prison. She goes home. She's with her girls. As I sat there thinking about the past year, one thing that became a lot clearer to me was I had sometimes let negativity cloud my vision during some of the most traumatic things that had happened to me in the past six years. But that's not who I am. In my heart of hearts, I am a positive person. I always have been. So while I was in prison, I realized that I needed to reach way down and find that sunny spirit that always looks at the glass as half full and view the world through those eyes. It's just better that way. People who have never experienced the system sometimes think it's like a free ride, that undeserving people get shelter and food at the expense of taxpayers. After having seen and heard the incredibly moving and difficult stories of some of my fellow inmates and experiencing just what the food and shelter consists of, I cannot justify that way of thinking. I guess I wonder who thinks that. I thought that too, and I had that highlighted. I'm like, I really feel like this oh, reflects Oh, but earlier she talks about being friends with Eric Trump. Yeah, yeah. She talks about how <laughs> Eric Trump is the nicest man she's ever met in her life. She met him during a celebrity apprentice. I was like, this really reflects on the type of people you know, because this does not reflect a thinking that anybody I know feels. I wish we could abolish the prisons because I'm sick of people fucking riding off the government. <laughs> like, fine, we'll meet you in the middle. We all abolish the prisons. She says she got a text that was, I have to say, as an outsider, I hope I can find the love you two have for each other about her and Juicy Joe. Very inspirational, like the movie The Notebook. You know, in The Notebook, when they both go to jail. <laughs> 
Very rare nowadays to stand by each other through it all. They do get divorced immediately. (laughs) It is a true love story. God bless. That gave me chills. What Joe and I do have is special, more than special. We have known each other our whole lives and have been through so much together. We are raising four beautiful daughters together. And despite everything, we are so blessed. I don't know. She finally gets out and then he goes in. She learns nothing. She gets fit. (laughs) She won a plank contest. They had a plank contest at jail and she held a plank for nine minutes. She was fucking rock hard. I love this. I hated it in there. For all the people out there who want to see me punished and suffer, well, they got their wish. The one lesson she almost kind of learns is that she shouldn't be loosey-goosey with people's relationships in jail. So Tanya, her roommate, tells her something about another girl. And that other girl knew someone that Teresa knew back home. Teresa mentioned it to the person she knew back home who mentioned it to the other girl. This was not a story I could follow. I said, this is a story for God and for Teresa. I can't. Basically, the one thing Teresa learns is that once Teresa leaves jail, the other people will still be there. So she shouldn't be playing telephone in a way that will affect them once she's gone. If she ruins a relationship between two people in there, those two people are going to still be in there together, even though she's leaving and she shouldn't have done that. I don't think she still fully understands that jail will continue to exist after she's gone. But that was like the one time she showed a glimmer of acknowledgement of it yeah so her dad never went to go see her when she was in jail because he couldn't bear to see her that way and so then she gets home they have this big tearful reunion my dad still doesn't understand why i had to go to prison neither do i maybe god wanted me to have some time to step back do some thinking heal and evaluate everything around me because it had all become so out of control and chaotic i mean look where i ended up maybe he wanted me to clean house and start fresh maybe i like can't imagine anybody who has learned less. She also, because they have two endings to this book, they have this really funny false ending that then there's another chapter and it's the worst written garbledy gook. <laughs> As I sat there thinking about what it'd be like when I got home, I stared up at the big, I guess she finished this book literally in the car from the prison to the house. Like she was sending the email on the ride. As I sat there thinking about what it would be like when I got home, I stared up at that big, beautiful blue sky above me. The funny thing about the sky and the sun and the stars is that they all look the same no matter where you are, whether you are in prison or at home. Even though I had been away from the people I loved most, I knew that wherever they were at that moment, they could see the same vast sky I did. We are always together in our hearts. After all, it's where we belong. You belong in your own heart. (laughs) What are you fucking talking about? So she's in in the kind of last chapter, but low-key second to last chapter. She's talking about how she'll always remember the people that she met there and her time there. She says because she never lived at college. She got an associate's degree from a local school. So she never lived in a dorm. She says this was like the closest she was ever going to get to the dorm experience. And then she said, we did a lot of complaining in there but at least we had each other to lean on. Of course, I say this with a grain of salt. I've never forgotten that some of the women were hardcore criminals who would sell their mother for a dollar if they could, but not my friends. They were good people. The lack of compassion or understanding or empathy, it's really, it's something to behold. Even though I was in the best shape of my life, <laughs> crunching down in the ball in the backseat of the car to avoid the paparazzi was not fun. Hold that plank, bitch. Oh my God. Wait, can I say one other part? And then we'll get to our final thoughts. She compares her drive from jail back to her house to have a reunion with her family. So the lawyer comes to pick her up from jail and they have a security team with them to help divert the paparazzi. She compares it to Princess Diana being chased by the paparazzi. To death. (laughs) To death. She is, and I think a lot of people would agree, the Princess Diana of our time. I think she's like the Princess Diana of mid-Northern Jersey. My final thoughts are that this book was upsetting to me. I found it really sad the way that she can't believe the way 
she's been mistreated in this world. She went from living in a gorgeous mansion that she essentially... Don't say gorgeous. <laughs> not in front of me. She went from living in a gorgeous mansion. <laughs> That's good. I'll give you that. <laughs> that she stole... <laughs> to being sad that life hadn't she's like why can't I just be rich no one will let me just be rich all the time and that's not fair oh god this book was really hard for me to read man (laughs) I just like can't wait to get over it I'm like itching I'm itching to get out of this conversation (laughs) Teresa you suck I can't wait to figure out exactly what she did on the Patreon this week. Me too. We'll talk about her wedding. We'll talk about Erica Jane. We'll talk about Jen Shaw. We'll talk about all those little criminals. Oh, a fun fact is that when Joe Judice went and did his time, another one of the housewives' husbands were there. Oh, yeah. He was there with Apollo Nita, who's from the Real Housewives of Atlanta. They were both serving time at Fort Dix. There is a very, very thin line between people who are willing to go on a reality TV show that's about being rich and people who are just criminals. Yeah. The people who are willing to do whatever it takes to be rich also then need people to know that they did get rich. Yeah. Which is not actually a good way to live your life if you're rich in a way that nobody should know about. (laughs) You guys, we love you so freaking much. As much as I didn't like Teresa, I hope you guys have a great weekend. I hope you guys have a great week. Yeah. Check us out on the wormhole. Check us out everywhere. And we have a newsletter. I think we haven't plugged it a single time on this podcast. We're trying our hand at news. Yeah. And the written word. Meet us there, babies. We love you. Love you. And who do you love the most, Ash? I love our five-star reviewers the most. Thank you to Miss LBV. I would marry you and become Mrs. LBV if I could. Thank you to Brooke H1124. I appreciate a babbling Brooke loving our babbling. Thanks, Devin123. Keep Devin on. Thank you to KNJ0370. This episode was a tribute to you and the other NJ residents. Thank you to NHH19. I appreciate you times 19. Thanks, Stefania Chom. I am absolutely chomping at the bit for a review this beautiful. Thanks to Maka Basag Wetterburn. This review is so beautiful, it burns. Thank you, Paris Geller. I am so fucking thrilled for your success in A Year in the Life. It was the only part I liked watching. Thank you, Avoids. Listen, I avoid a lot, but not this review. Thank you to Hurley98. I would love to hurl my arms around you and give you a friggin' hug. Thank you to Molly J. Wink. I would love to double wink back at you. That's a blink, baby. Thanks, Ashley Worm. You are probably the best worm in the world because you're a fellow Ashley. Thank you to Nicole FTH. I don't know what FTH stands for, but I love it. Thank you, Bachelor fan. I would fan you with a Bachelor if I could. Thank you, T. Leah. This review is perfect to a T. Thank you to Njutes Johnsist. Listen, I don't know how to pronounce it, but I would learn for you. Thank you, Spill to Jill. I am built to spill, Jill. Thank you, Not So Pop Culture Savvy. Listen. Stick with us, kid. You'll learn a thing or two, or maybe not. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Bluebird45445, my favorite color of bird. Thank you to Kate9119. 
my favorite number of Kates. Thank you to Gujiana for 418929. A goo review from you. And I appreciate it. Thank you to Quality Control 19384. I appreciate you checking the quality. It's very important. Thank you to Bella Tapia. I love having Bella Tapas. Thanks, Dave. Dollar sign, dollar sign. Oh, we love a big money Dave around here. Rachel, my favorite thing to look for at the beach. Julia McCartney, tell Paul, Sir Paul, I say hello. And thank you for this review. Thank you to Mish Middle One, my favorite place to put a Mish. TJ Marks, my fashion icon. Thank you. And that's all for this week. Thank you guys so much. You're the best and I love you.